Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Sometimes science can go in a direction nobody really expects. This week we find out about two scientific research studies that went in directions that no one really anticipated, from a connection between quantum mechanics, DNA, proteins, and an exciting new way of measuring them in nanocircuitry, and the connection between hearing aids and what's going on on a spider's legs. Sometimes the journey of scientific research is one full of lots of odd and strange turns, and the end result could be a completely unexpected and new direction. And that was exactly what happened to a group of researchers from Arizona State University, led by Professor and Biophysicist Stuart Lindsay. Now, Lindsay is an expert in nanotechnology and spent many years working on next-generated, rapid, low-cost DNA and amino acid readers. Basically, simple, quick and effective ways to understand what's going on inside DNA and amino acids to help us have precision medicine, be able to read exactly what's going on in your cells, find out if there's any abnormalities and target specifically problems and fix them. And basically, they had been studying how DNA molecules, when passed through some electrodes, behaved. It's a method called recognition tunneling, basically like poking a single molecule down through a nanopore, basically a needle hole. So they thread this DNA molecule all the way through this little hole, this nanopore. And as they feed it through that, electrodes either side measure the electrical properties of these single strands of DNA or amino acids. And by doing that, they can actually sequence them. They can figure out what they are and how they work. And he's been doing this for years, building DNA and amino acid readers. And at the time, they thought, well, we've done DNA, we've done amino acids, what else could we look at? And in that level of microbiology, obviously the next thing to turn to is proteins. Proteins are essential parts of this whole equation, being the food and the messengers. But trying to electrically detect proteins is very, very strange and difficult, because the covalent wisdom had been that proteins, well, they just behave like inert blobs of organic matter like an insulator, not conducting electricity in one way or another. So passing them through a pair of electrodes wasn't supposed to do anything. Lindsay, not giving up at this point, thought, well, it would be an interesting project. We may as well give it a shot. So four years ago, he passed it over to one of his graduate students at the time, Yanan Zhao. And Yanan was basically given the task of trying to make the impossible a reality, or really with low expectations, just to see if anything could be done with proteins using this recognition tunneling technique. Now, the idea was, if you could trap a whole protein between a pair of electrodes, you'd be able to read what was in that protein with no other additional mechanisms. Now, that would be great for nanotechnology, because now you have the ability to identify a single protein molecule, and that would be an amazing new tool in nanomedicine, because everything needs proteins. Problem was, there wasn't a lot of consensus among scientists of what proteins behaved like. Some, even though there were data present, it was inconclusive, and basically the camps were split between those that dismissed them and thought they were insulators and those that say they were conductors. But when Yanan Zhao actually passed these protein molecules through the detectors, 
when he ramped up the voltage, increasing and increasing it over time, so making these electrodes at higher and higher charge levels, eventually the proteins just started to behave like a metal. And not just slightly conductive, incredibly conductive, shockingly conductive. And for the next couple of years, Stuart Lindsay and his team spent ages trying to figure out what had they done wrong. Was there anything else that they perhaps influenced this trial, maybe miscalculated something or mismeasured something? Because the result itself didn't make much sense. I mean, yes, they expected maybe some conductivity, but not for it to behave almost like a metal. It is, after all, in organic matter, just a protein. And they, they spent many years trying to refute this and do lots of different trials to confirm this results. And eventually, after a couple of years, they just published a paper in the physics journal NanoFutures to outline that they were reasonably confident that yes, in fact, proteins at certain voltages can become conductive, like a metal. Now, to actually confirm this, they started to put this experiment inside a scanning tunnel microscope and called an STM. Now, an STM is a really, really powerful tool because they atta attached at the tip of the STM another electrode and they attached that to a small molecule called a ligand. And basically they could hold the single protein, just a single individual protein, no other influences, and an, S an STM. And basically you could bring it in all the way in exact proximity and get really, really precise and clear measurements, which no one else had done before. And it was very, very funny because even with the probe really far away, so this microscope not really touching exactly really closely, this protein, they were getting all kinds of crazy spikes of conductivity. And that couldn't be explained by just random electrons tunneling through from the, or interference from the, the microscope itself. And basically, they were just dumbfounded on what was happening. Fortunately, they stumbled across the work of theoretical biophysicist Gabor Vatai from the Department of Physics and Complex Systems at Otavus Lorand University in Budapest in Hungary. And Gabor Vatai had been for ages hypothesizing about quantum mechanics and how this might have some interactions with biological systems. And interestingly enough, there's a, a a special state between insulating and conducting and depending on the energy level spacings basically the bands or quantum energy bands in each state of matter um, you could for different molecules actually kick something up from being in a conductive state to a, a conducting state and Gabovatai looked at a bunch of proteins and said that look maybe they are in this highly unlikely but theoretically possible band where if you provided enough voltage to them you could kick them from one state to another. So as long as you have an electrical fluctuation that can kickstart the protein into being a conductor, it can then, much in the same way as a diode does, switch on to becoming quite conductive. Not super conductive, but very conductive for what is otherwise an inert insulating matter. Now, by realizing that all of a sudden this had to do with behavior almost like a diode, quantum mechanics type behavior, instead of typical biophysics, which the team from Arizona State University were experts in, they quickly started to recalibrate and test the results. They put models into supercomputers scattered across Europe and identified energy levels in these proteins that they were studying that would explain the result that they were seeing. So not only had they observed something very strange, but they found the theoretical underpinning and mechanism to explain how and why it exactly was working. And that's great 
because now you can actually, through correct tuning, switch on and off effectively the conductivity of these proteins. As long as you apply the right voltage to them, you can turn the protein from being non-conductive to conductive. And that's just by manipulating the quantum energy level states, much in the same way as we do with a diode or any other semiconductor. And this is an incredible idea, an incredible new technique for nanodevices. Because now you can use proteins to make all other kinds of solid state nanodevices, mimicking the circuitry that we have in other areas. Now we can actually manipulate these properties in a great way and build better, more powerful, and more, more complex medical nanomachinery. And that's what Lindsay and his team at Arizona State University are now investigating ways to do that. But it just goes to show that experts in microbiology and DNA could somehow find themselves down into a rabbit hole of quantum mechanics and uncover an entirely new way of making circuitry out of proteins. There's some great work being done out of Arizona State University in collaboration with researchers from Universal Round University in Budapest. Now, speaking of research that's gone in another unexpected direction, there's a connection between something that we all have and rely on, especially to listen to this very podcast, and that is our ears, which are fantastic translators of sound into things we can comprehend, react to, and respond to. But if you have hearing difficulty, if you're deaf or you're losing your hearing in certain ranges, then you may have hearing aids. And it turns out that one of the best materials for use in a hearing aid is something that you really don't want in your ears at the best of times. And that is, of course, spider silk. And a group of researchers from Binghamton University in the United States have been investigating the correlation and ways to use spider silk to make your hearing aids much, much better in ways that transcend traditional hearing aids. But let's take a step back first and talk about how a hearing aid works. Now, there's a couple of different types, the over-ear, the in-ear, and the in-canal hearing aids. But they all pretty much work the same way. They have a microphone, they have some processing, and then they have an emitter. And depending on where it is in the ear, it emits back into your ear in a different way. But they all share the same common principle. You might have an analog hearing aid that just literally takes the sound in, amplifies it, and emits it into your ear so you can hear it. Or you might have a digital one that translates the analog recording from the real world into a digital setting, filters it, processes it, in exactly the same way as I'm doing right now using my microphone and this podcast, recording it onto a hard disk, applying some filtering, then saving it, and then sending it to you to listen to, and then that you download it and listen to in your ears. The hearing aid is doing that just in a very, very short time scale. And with that, you can filter out certain frequencies, amplify other frequencies that you may want to focus in on. And that, that's really, really helpful to help fix particular people's hearing difficulties. And hearing aids then can be improved if we have better microphones. They can also be improved by having better circuitry or better emitters. And we've been all working on different ways of improving each part of this process chain. But how do spiders, in particular spider webs, fit into this complicated equation? Now, Professor Ron Miles and graduate student Jian Zhao were experimenting with different ways to improve 
the microphones. And one of the things that we need to try and process is the directionality of the sound. If we can improve the ability to pick up sound from multiple directions, then it greatly improves the performance of the microphone. At the moment, I'm using a particular fancy Cardroid microphone that has two modes, a single channel mode, also an omni mode that enables it to pick up sound from all directions instead of just the one I'm speaking into it. And depending on which mode I want to use, I can get much better sound performance. And the same thing applies to hearing aids. And that's what these researchers from Binghamton University were trying to understand. Now, insects, on the other hand, they actually pick up the direction of sound not by relying on hearing, but by using hair. And in fact, the hairs along their bodies actually help them identify the directionality of sound. In fact, we, we have known for quite a while that spider silk, for example, is actually able to pick up the velocity of the air and the pressure of the air, so much more than any other type of thing. And spiders use this to help understand and deal with their webs and make sure that they're structurally sound and detect if something has flown into them. So by adapting this concept from the insect kingdom, they thought, well, maybe we can make a microphone using spider silk that is now incredibly more responsive to the movement of air and to pressure as well. And that will give it a much more powerful microphone for relatively low cost material. The better part about using this particular technology as well is that by improving the directional sensing, we actually also pick up even more frequencies because the spider silk is so thin, it can be moved by air with very, very low frequencies, lower as about three hertz, which is pretty low in terms of sound levels. It's actually normally a frequency that is equivalent to being able to hear the tectonic plates moving in an earthquake. It's really low noise, rumbly noise normally. Spider silk actually picks up the direction of airflow with such great accuracy that you can turn it into amazing sound and by processing it correctly using an electronic signal, an amazing microphone and speaker combination. So to actually turn it from just being a bit of spider silk or waving in the wind, literally, uh, they had to coat it in gold particles and then put it in a magnetic field. By doing that, by having the spider silk move in the magnetic field, that produces an electronic signal. And by that, they can translate that signal into a digital signal, which they can then process and amplify using the rest of the hearing aid assembly. Now this is incredible, not just for hearing aids, but also for microphones, because it means that we have a now a much better way of picking up more sound frequencies in a much less directional way that doesn't just rely on sound pressure, but also air velocity, like a ribbon microphone. And all these things combined mean a pretty spectacular new way of developing a microphone and a new way of improving hearing aids. All we'd have to do is get over the fact that we're putting spider silk in our ears. But it just goes to show how science can be an interesting journey from start to finish. And some great research from Binghamton University. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. Finding the right voltage to turn a protein into a conductor and a connection between microphones, spider silk and hearing aids and how to make a better hearing aid for the world. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.